It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Hello, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. It's a great pleasure to be with you. We're a little under the weather this morning, but who isn't? We'll get through this. Lots of fun. Good guests. Plenty to talk about. By the way, um, join us during the week. Fox Business, FBN. Name of the show is Kudlow. 4 to 5 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. And if by some chance you can't make it at 4, please just text your favorite 9-year-old, and she will show you how to DVR the show. And you will never miss a thing. And here on radio, you can live stream us over the Internet. Live stream us over the Internet, LarryKudlowShow.com. LarryKudlowShow.com. Plays all across the country, around the world, throughout the solar system. That includes the Milky Way. Our Milky Way following is picking up steam, as reported by Nielsen. Heavy Milky Way viewership, listenership. Anyway, um, I want to talk, I guess I'm going to begin with such an interesting story. This is um, the Washington Examiner. It was posted last night. And I'll read it to you. Texas tells Trump of 99% decline in illegal immigration in a DJT Donald J. Trump brief at the border. Trump was down there Thursday, as you know. Biden was down there Thursday. Biden's not doing damn thing to stop immigration. Not a single thing. He had plenty of time to announce executive orders. Never did it. And now the White House has introduced a new word to describe the uh, illegals, and that is newcomer. (laughs) They're newcomers. Yeah, well, not exactly. Uh, They're illegal aliens. That's what they really are. That was the original terminology. Then that became illegal immigrants, and then that became migrants, and now it's morphed into, into... Newcomers, uh, we had um, we had uh, Senator uh, from Tennessee on, uh, Marsha Blackburn, great lady, and she was walking through the iteration of the illegals. But the point, that story I want to tell you at the beginning here, we'll, we'll talk more about this immigration stuff as the show goes on. But here's the thing, at Eagle Pass, Texas, okay, at Eagle Pass, Texas, The flow of illegals into the United States has basically stopped. Okay, stopped. According to this article, there were more than 4,000 arrests per day at the height of the uh, illegal surge in Eagle Pass. Now, since they put up these barricades and installed huge amounts of concertina wire. I guess that's, uh, I don't know, rough wire, barbed wire, whatever it is. Uh, The area's been sealed off, basically. I think, let's see, they're averaging 18 arrests per day compared to more than 4,000 arrests per day before. Now, this is the work of Governor Greg Abbott. Good guy, known him for years. And he's taking matters into his own hands. And, of course, the Biden administration is fighting him. Took him to court. 
uh, sending Border Patrol agents to to cut the wire and undo the barricades. But no, that's all stopped now. They got it all carved out. The Texas crowd got it all carved out. Uh, They hired a guy named Mike Banks, who was a former Border Patrol official, and he became the state's border czar back in January 23, so a little more than a year ago. And he's the guy that's uh, put together Greg Abbott's policy orders to create barricades, barbed wire, and stop them from coming in. And do not uh, be cowed by any federal officials. And Basically, the federal officials have not done anything. They've avoided outright confrontation. So guess what? 18 per day, down from 4,000. That's a big drop, wouldn't you say? Which then shows evidence of an important point. That is, build a wall or a barricade or wire. Trump was down there Thursday with uh, Greg Abbott and uh, walls, wires, barricades. This is what the former president's been saying for years. He did it. Slashed the amount of illegals coming in. But this Texas story, so what's happened is uh, because these illegals have so much trouble getting into Texas, the action has moved to Arizona and uh, Southern California, San Diego area. You know, there's a border there, San Diego, Tijuana. I used to live down there, San Diego County. It's a lovely place to live, but uh, they got immigration problems, just like they always do. Uh, Governor of Arizona is a Democrat. I can't think of her name, but she's done nothing. And, of course, Gavin Newsom is a prototype Biden, but worse, he's welcoming them in and welcoming sanctuary cities and welcoming a sanctuary state and welcoming criminals. I'm sorry. Gavin is an old acquaintance of mine, and it's not personal because I think he's a very nice chap, but his policies have become nutty, absolutely left-wing nutty. But anyway, I I don't want to lose this train of thought. Eagle Pass, Texas, what Greg Abbott has done, and he showed the evidence to uh, President Trump when President Trump was down there Thursday. Barriers work. Okay, barbed wire works, concertina wire works, walls work. And by the way, Remain in Mexico works. Title 42 works. And a policy of catch and deport works. And it was Joe Biden on day one in January of 2021, right after his inauguration, that he spent the next couple of months undoing every single Trump immigration initiative. Every single one. Hundreds. There's been tape running on Fox News and elsewhere about this uh, Alejandro Mayorkas at a press conference saying in September of 21 that we we undid so many of these things I can't even remember. I'm sure you could remember. I'm sure your boss can't remember anything. But the deal is blaming Republicans doesn't work. Because Trump had moved that down. Trump moved very aggressively in 2020. Started in late 19, got himself a satisfactory crew running the Department of Homeland Security, and they went to work. They went to work. My pal Steve Miller in the White House helping out. We all helped out. We all formulated, by the way, legal immigration policies, which I favor. Legal. But that means, you know what that means? That means, first of all, you you can't come in. 
uh, illegally. Uh, you can't plead asylum on everything. We had a much higher asylum bar. Um, if you're a criminal from another country, you're out of luck. If you're waiting for your asylum court decision, you remain in Mexico, which we worked out with uh, the socialist uh, president of Mexico, Obrador, AMLO. Mr. Trump built, I think, about 530 miles worth of wall. Plenty ready to go. Democratic Senate didn't want to give it to him, but walls, barbed wire. And, you know, that's what's so great about this Texas initiative from Greg Abbott. So I want to read you something else, too, that I talked about this on the TV show last night. Uh, my opening riff. Um, you know, Joe Biden keeps saying, uh, I've done all I can. I've done all I can. That's just nonsense. Utter, lying, thieving nonsense. Okay. And we went back, uh, my production team at Fox Business, bless their hearts, best team in the world, by the way. So there's two legal statutes passed by Congress, signed into law by presidents. This is a while ago. One of them, some called 212F of the Immigration and Nationality Act. And that gives the president authority to suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens. Okay? Now, that's basically what Trump did with Title 42, but it's broader. It doesn't have to be just health concerns. But that is a presidential executive power, which Mr. Trump invoked, which Biden uninvoked, much to his uh, dying political popularity, letting in somewhere between, uh, I don't know, 9 and 10 million illegals. And the whole country is in an uproar. It's the number one issue. Trump's ahead of uh, Biden on this issue by, what, 35 points, 40 points, something like that. It's not going to get any better because Biden doesn't have the guts to uh, to work at it. The left-wing woke progressives, they don't believe in borders. And um, criminals don't get busted. You know, George Soros prosecutors don't bust criminals. So they come across the border illegally. They commit crimes. They get out of jail. They commit other crimes kill that beautiful, beautiful girl down at the University of Georgia and others, and others. My point is Section 212F gives the president executive authority to close the border. Second, second is something called 287G, all right? That came a little later, but it also was incorporated into the Immigration and Nationality Act. And basically, that says that ICE, uh, right, the um, immigration uh, border protection people, ICE uh, works with the local police, define as you want, little towns, cities, state cops, local police to identify and remove incarcerated criminal non-citizens. This is, and I'll quote from the statute, to protect the homeland through the arrest and removal of non-citizens who undermine the safety of our nation's community and the integrity of U.S. immigration laws. That, by the way, this federal law and executive authority trumps these local sanctuary cities and states. So all Joe Biden has to do 
is use these two statutes. We can deport illegals and criminals and stop them at the border, but he won't do it. And he lies whenever he said, give me the tools, give me the tools. I need this new bill so we can spend a couple of billion dollars. You know what that money's going to go for? Newcomers. Make it easier for the newcomers to come into the country illegally. Make it easy for them to get court cases. Make it easy for them to get green cards, work permits, social services, welfare, hotel rooms, schools, etc., etc. That's all that is. He's not getting rid of anybody. He's not deporting anybody. Now, come back to this. That's why it's so important because you have a laboratory experiment how barricades, barriers, and walls can do the trick and keep the illegals out. This is no longer a theory. This is a reality in Texas. Governor Greg Abbott and his team. What did I say? Eight arrests per day? Down from 4,000? Go look this up. Go to the Washington Examiner. Tile of the pieces. Texas tells Trump 99% decline in illegal immigration. An average of 18 arrests per day compared to more than 4,000 arrests per day before the barriers were put up. All right? Biden, any president, has the executive authority. Laws passed by Congress, signed by prior presidents, as part of the uh, Immigration and Nationality Act, gives presidents wide power to protect our border, to close our border, and to deport criminals, illegals, murderers, kidnappers, rapers, druggers, sex trafficking, and all the rest of the scum of the world produced by these Mexican cartels that finance and expedite the whole thing at the border. But you know what? He's put up a bunch of barbed wire. They can't do it. Put up a wall. I guess they could do it, but it wouldn't be easy. You'd go down from 10000 a month in December. You'd go down to 5000 You'd go down to 3000 Be like Eagle Pass. Eagle Pass went from 4000 per day to 18 arrests per day. How about those apples? Trump has said this all along. This just proves his point. And when he talks about illegal migrant crime, this is what he's talking about and how it has to be stopped. And you can bust these sanctuary cities with federal presidential executive action. And that'd be a big thing. And you know what? Mr. Trump wins. That's a day one agenda item. Trust me on that, folks. I know the man. My name's Kudlow. I'll be right back. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. I want to tell a quick now, story. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. I want to tell a quick story, a eulogy, if you will. Uh, my boyhood friend, uh, Richard Lewis, Richie Lewis, very, very famous, talented comedian and uh, stand-up comic, movies, fabulous television, a, a brilliant guy. I mean, really, a truly brilliant guy. He's the one always dressed in black, kind of had longish hair. And Richie Lewis passed away this week, uh, according to reports um, of a heart attack. I want to say, you know, he was, he was a very nice guy, and we, we were very close when we were kids, not so much later. But I want to tell this story because one of the things that's so wonderful about Richard Lewis, and I want people to know this, is he was a fabulous, sober example, sober, as in no booze and no drugs, for 30 years, or just about 30 years. And he was a fabulous example to me. I'm sober about the same time, and probably to millions of other people out there. And when my story hit the press uh, several decades ago, I hadn't heard from Richard Lewis, and he called me to quickly tell me his story and going to treatment and being in a hospital and getting sober. And down through the years, down through the years, he would check in, just to check in, how are you doing? It looks like you're doing okay, and I'd say the same to him. And I miss him. And I'm sad that he's left us. Richard Lewis, a sober example and a brilliant person and actor. May he rest in peace. May God watch over him. Richie Lewis, we'll miss you. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is The Larry Kudlow Show. And um, let's talk a little politics. Super Tuesday coming up. On Tuesday. Ha, ha, ha. And some other things. Democrats are freaking out. Donald Trump's uh, law defenses, the Democrats' lawfare campaign, not going so well. Not going so well at all. 
And if that weren't bad enough, Trump is killing Biden in the swing state polls. But it's early. Today is, what is today? March 2nd. Got that right. I've been stuck with a terrible cold all week. Got out of bed yesterday. Here I am this morning. I had to do it for Joe Concha. That was my main thing. <laughs> Fox News contributor. Come on, man. The truth about Biden's no good, horrible, very bad president. You know, uh, well, let me introduce, please, Caroline Downey, uh, the brilliant young National Review reporter and visiting fellow at Independent Women's Forum. You know, Joe, your book, that book title is now being used by pundits and advertisements. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm coughing again. I'm not supposed to cough. Let me find the cough. I will carry as you cough. So, yeah, here's the thing, Larry. I stole that title from a children's book, and now it's being stolen from me, and I'm angry about it. So I guess I can't be angry about it. No, don't be angry. It's a great compliment (laughs) because, actually, I first saw it. I think I sent it to you. Yeah. One of the Donald Trump Make America Great circulars was using it, but I've seen it pop up elsewhere in different publications. I've revived it. Usually describing Joe Biden's day. You know what I mean? Like he's not having a good day. Or come on, man. Biden's having a no good, horrible, very bad week, et cetera. Yeah. So good for you. Um, I, the kids, let me just start with this. Um, Super Tuesday is coming. Yes, of course, on Tuesday. Uh, what is it? A dozen primaries, fifteen primaries, whatever 13. it is, thirteen. Just tell me. Uh, start with you, Joe. And I want to get. I want to get to Caroline. Yeah. Why do we particularly care? I mean, we will cover it at Fox. Lord knows, we will cover it Tuesday, and we will cover the results of it on Wednesday. Uh, I mean, I think uh, Donald Trump's going to win everything going away. I mean, Nikki Haley, each primary, she gets a lower percentage of the vote, the direct yeah. opposite of what she said. All right, so Joe, why is it important? It, I think, would solidify once and for all that Donald Trump is inevitable as far as being the nominee. Mm. And Nikki Haley, she didn't drop out after South Carolina. We always heard she's staying through Super Tuesday. I think that's the end of her campaign. Hmm. The question is, Larry, does she endorse Trump, the guy she wants to work for, because she's had a lot of pointed things to say about him, things that you can't kind of spin and say, well, they were just running against each other and Haley uh, said this and that. She's attacking, you know, his age, uh, his acuity. And I don't know how you could go from doing that to endorsing Trump. Then the question is, does no labels say, hey, Nikki, come over to us. You could run with us. And that would be very interesting. She says she won't because no labels is predicated on the fact that you have a Republican and a Democrat on the ticket. And she says that I can't I won't be able to do anything I want to do with a Democrat as my number two. But I wouldn't count it out completely because she really does seem to like the spotlight at this point. I don't think she's going away. What about the she she Caroline, she'd be the number two to the Democrat. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, what oh, yeah. makes her think she'd be at the top of the ticket caroline downey i wouldn't exactly say she has run a brilliant striking clever uh impactful campaign i mean actually um now i admit i was home kind of under the covers but I had tv and saw I don't know. I, th- I think Fox must have covered it. I missed it. I just saw the banner at the bottom of the screen watching the Sean Hannity show and realized that Trump won 67% of the vote and she had less than 30. Uh, she had 40, what, 42 before that and 45 before that. Anyway, Caroline Downey, uh, why is Super Tuesday going to be important? 
Well, yeah. I mean, Larry, listen, Nikki Haley's margins have been pretty abysmal compared to Trump's in all of these key primaries so far. Both Trump and Biden achieved large victories in the Michigan primary just recently. And Haley's still claiming that she's banking on the Trump holdouts for old guard Republicans resistant to populism. They're more sympathetic to her international view uh, you know, they don't like his personality traits. For, for some of them, it's a non-starter. But this cohort of the party is is shrinking fast. And I think, to, to Joe's point, Nikki Haley is uh, running, she's still running to lose to Trump. Mm. And despite her fundraising numbers, which allows her to sustain herself, it's, uh, it's really a lost cause. And uh, everybody's going to rally around Trump at the end of the day. I mean, I thought... At this point, it's mostly Democratic and Democratic-leaning independents. But if there are some of these old Rockefeller Republicans, these are the Republicans that used to— Remember George Papa Bush? He would wear little—he had this little preppy uh, striped watch band that he would wear, and he would wear these—always um, these striped ties, and Reagan made fun of him, and Nancy Reagan made fun of him. He did wear button-down shirts, which I still do. I still wear those Brooksy button-down shirts because they're so damn comfortable. But, you know, Joe, remember the, the striped watch band that Papa Bush used to have? He was the symbol of preppiness. The trouble is Reagan blew him up. And the trouble here is Nikki's getting blown up. I mean, yeah. there, there, are no, there are no rhino Republicans left, per se. It's Donald Trump's party. Well, we saw that this week with Mitch McConnell, Larry, right? Yes. When he announced that, hey, I'm going to step down as majority leader. I mean, I got hit by three champagne corks just walking down the street for, you know, <laughs> from people celebrating on that one. Uh, yeah, there, there is no establishment base for the Republican Party anymore. Uh, MAGA absolutely ha- has taken over this party, uh, and they're not looking back. But you look at these Super Tuesday races. I mean, my goodness gracious. Trump's up. 87-12 in Alabama. Mm. Uh, he's up 77-23 North Carolina, 88-11 in Oklahoma, 81-18 Tennessee, 84-15 Texas. Uh, Haley does better in Virginia. She gets a whole 19% to Trump's 78%. So uh, I, I, I'm shocked that she stayed to this long because I think 2028, she was a viable uh, candidate to, to win that nomination. Because remember, Donald Trump could only serve one term. And now I think in terms of her, of her goodwill with anybody in – Trump world and the MAGA world we just described, I think it's gone at this point. Oh, he would never. Uh, trust me, I have an impeccable source. He will never choose her as vice president. <laughs> oh, no. Do you, do you know who he's choosing? Do you know where he's leading? I'm not saying share it. I'm just but... saying my source is utterly, absolutely, incredibly impeccable. Trust really? Me, trust All me right. on that, this. That sounds very close okay. uh, to the president. So, I'm not uh, saying <laughs> that's as far as I go. Uh, I don't want to give oh, Caroline a scoop here for... By the way, Carol, <laughs> Caroline, your editor-in-chief, Rich Lowry, who was my dear friend over so many years, did you see the story he wrote? I'm, I'm going off topic for a minute because talking about Nikki Haley is, I mean, it's really um, like stale bread. But I, Rich went to McDonald's, which Rich loves, and if I get this right, he had a French fries and a milkshake, and it cost $17. <laughs> Seventeen dollars oh, yeah. for one order of fries and one milkshake, as an illustration of well, Biden inflation. <laughs> Caroline, did you hear this story? Oh yeah, and I got to expose my boss real quick. <laughs> that story is, you know, very indicting of, of Biden's economy. But <laughs> Rich Lowry is notorious for 
for his interesting food choices. And so <laughs> I have no doubt he went on an investigative reporting trip to McDonald's <laughs> to cover this. But it, it really is a kind of a layman's example of how much the price increases across very important commodities, such as food, are plaguing Americans, really hitting us where it hurts. And despite the Biden administration's assurances that inflation is tempering and that, you know, it's less of a concern as it was many months ago, like we've said before, these kind of esoteric Mm. appeals to macroeconomics do not count for families who are just struggling to get by. They, They feel the price increases across you know, gas, food, other yeah. like parts of their consumer basket. And you know what else Rich also wrote? He wrote about the border crisis, debunking once and for all, Larry, which this is another issue besides inflation that all Americans believe is extremely important for 2024. It's that the border crisis wasn't something that befell Biden, that befell Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. This is not plaguing his presidency. Biden manufactured this Mm. from nearly the first day in office, just like he manufactured inflation by spending the country into oblivion. He loosened up the border and he set out from day one to destroy all the Trump policies, executive orders that kept illegal immigration at bay. You know, and so this was a carefully crafted demolition of Trump's policies that gave us control of the border. Kind of backfired. And now we've opened the I'd say we've opened the floodgate. I'd say it kind of backfired on him. You know, it's uh, Haley, by the way, never hit the immigration problem very hard. Never touched it lightly and then and then jumped away. Yeah. Uh, Biden inflation. Nikki Haley doesn't do economics. She just doesn't do it. She didn't know how to deal with it. She was talking about abortion votes in the Senate and talking about how we have to spend more money on Ukraine. I mean, Joe, it is. For better or worse, okay, I happen to like it, but not everyone does. But I'm just saying it's Trump's party, and it's the party of working folks. Uh, I did a riff on this, uh, I don't know, earlier last week. Larry Lindsay, the great economist, did a story about it. It's the party of $200 donors, whereas the Democrats are the party of mega multimillion donors. And three to up, three yeah. to one, th- uh, something like three to one, uh, t- people given two hundred bucks or less uh, are Trump donors, and so it's it's border, it's Bidenflation, um, it's woke, and it's going to be make America great again overseas as well, but not starting five or six wars at the same time. And I have a second book coming out. I don't want to talk about it too much yet because uh, they say not to do it until about two weeks beforehand. It'll be coming in a couple of months, and it's called Progressively Worse, Mm. Why Today's Elites in the Democratic Party Ain't Your Daddy's Donkeys Anymore. Okay, so I think we got a good one there, too, as far as the title's concerned. Uh, So I've done a lot of research into this, and yes, uh, they are the party of the inner cities now, and I'm talking like the Upper West Side, right? Not not Mm -hmm. what what you normally think of with inner cities. And when you look at the top, 10 congressional districts by per capita income 
all 10 are represented by Democrats. Mm. I mean, that is just so telling where we are. And then you even see what Joe Biden, guys, right? When when he goes on vacation, whether it's Thanksgiving, uh, over the summer, he's either going to his multi-million dollar home on the beach in Delaware, which I still don't get exactly how he affords two multi-million dollar homes in Delaware. But then he'll go to Lake Tahoe, right? To Tom Steyer's place that's worth $34 million, Or somewhere on the beach in Nantucket that's worth $40 million, right? So I, I don't want to hear about Scranton Joe anymore, all right? He's as much an elitist as anybody else. And Donald Trump, ironically, the billionaire, is the one that's connecting with the working class and the blue dog Democrats. Yep, yep. It's a remarkable turnaround. And Larry, I got to take a break. Even the elite donor. Caroline, hang on to it. No, no, no. I'll come right back to you. We just got to take a commercial break. Uh, Folks, we're talking to Joe Concha, Fox News contributor, Caroline Downey, National Review. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Hang with us. Larry Kudlow. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Hi, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're here talking with Joe Concha, Fox News contributor and author of Come On, Man, The Truth About Biden's No Good, Horrible, Very Bad Presidency, and Caroline Downey, National Review magazine reporter and also a visiting fellow at the uh, Independent Women's Forum. Caroline, at the break, you were going to say, I don't know if you held that thought. If you didn't, I got a few others for you. Well, yeah, I was just going to conclude that even the elite donor class is losing confidence in Nikki Haley. The oh. Koch Brothers Align Network withdrew their support. Right. So the libertarians are not on board anymore either. <laughs> no, that's a good point. And I, I read in the paper that she still has millions and millions of dollars. I don't know who the hell's given it. It must be hardcore Democratic groups. I mean, Republican donors have given up on her. Uh, so I, anyway, I don't know. It'll all come out in the wash. But uh, I agree with mm-hmm. Joe. Uh, she'll drop out after Super Tuesday. That probably be the most important thing come out of Super Tuesday. But, you know, looking at this again, Carl, in the race, now I know uh, President Trump's done very well in these polls, but after all, it's early March. It's not early November. And um, my hunch is it's going to be a close race. My hunch is the Democrats probably steal it as best they can. Hope they don't succeed. I'm not making any inferences. That's just my own particular point of view with the law firm, uh, lawfare sabotage going on. But the thing is, and this is where I'm going, Caroline, Trump's Republican Party, and I think he's going to get independence, like he got money from the Teamsters. That's unusual. Um, the auto workers didn't endorse, um, didn't endorse Biden in Michigan. They, they endorsed um, whatever it's called, unannounced or... Uh, you know, the category. Uncommitted. Uncommitted. Thank you, Joe. Sure. But I'm just saying, mm-hmm. um, Trump has turned the GOP into the working man's party and working woman's party. And those are white workers, but they're also Hispanic workers, um, Asian workers. Uh, I'm sure lots of women who go to work every day, you know, uh, not necessarily fancy blue co- uh, white collar jobs and banks. Uh, African-American workers who don't like the border and the crime. And as you all been talking, the high prices for essentials like grocery and gasoline don't like America getting kicked around in foreign affairs. I mean, he's 
It's a very interesting story, Caroline, and I'm going to have Joe comment, too. This is a new party. I mean, Trump started it, uh, certainly in 2015, 2016, but it's building up to a crescendo now, and they're going to put him over the line for the nomination big time. Well, right, and the establishment, which Nikki Haley does represent, is constantly irked at just how much momentum Trump can, can maintain by being himself, by not you know, faking priorities. His cornerstone issues are the border, the border and, the, and the economy, which Nikki Haley is, is not very attuned to, but most Americans are because they're affecting us on a daily basis. And in, in some areas, small towns are getting flooded by illegal migrants, you know, suffocating mm-hmm. their local resources, their schools, you know, hospitals even. And so, yes, Trump absolutely is a mouthpiece for the average American in the way that the old guard, old school Republican Party no longer is. And it it has to accept that, you know, going forward. And I want to mention one kind of anecdote from the recent days. Trump visited the border just like Biden did, although he was trudging at the the pace of a snail you might have seen from Mm. videos. And there were some humorous moments that Trump, you know, did for the camera. He, I think he waved to migrants across the border. Mm. And I think the point is he's a happy warrior. And uh, that's that's another aspect yeah. of him that his base loves. Actually, that's you know, a he, new, new temperament. It's a it's not the uh, let's just say he's a happy warrior much more than he's a scowling warrior. Uh, Joe, last point here. Ran out of time bit. Mike Goodwin of the New York Post was quoting Paul Krugman. I talked about this on the TV show last night. Krugman calls it the mystery of white rural rage. That's all they see it. It's a bunch of racist working folks people, white people. They're the scourge of the earth. They're the scourge of the earth. And um, I say they misunderstand Trump and his movement. It is the silliest thing to do if you're a Krugman who talk about elitists like we were talking before. Mm. I mean, he is the ultimate. He's the guy also who predicted that there would be a worldwide depression after Trump won in 2016, right? Yes. Yes. How's this guy keep winning prizes again? I have no idea. Uh, you want to go after Trump and his policies? All right, knock yourself out. You start going after 74 million voters. Mm. I, I heard one former sportscaster uh, call... Trump supporters, a toxic cult. Yeah. Uh, tell that to that auto worker in Michigan. Tell that to that steel worker in Pennsylvania. Th- th- these are people that simply agree with him on policy because on policy, inflation, regulations, trade, energy, crime, foreign policy, and the border, they agree with them. So it's not like these are angry racists that are supporting him. These are people that care about the country and want America to be the first priority again. It's, uh, to do this is just silly, and it just shows you how desperate this party is at this point, because if this election was held today, Trump wins North Carolina, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, Michigan, obviously Florida and Ohio are pretty much gone. They're red states at this point. Mm. He wins those states. He wins the election. It's that simple. They know it. You know, it's funny. While you both were talking, it just occurred to me what these folks want is a good God-fearing working folks. doesn't matter what college. not about racism. You know, the Paul Krogmans of the world never understand that. Nope. They want somebody in the White House who's going to protect them and their financial economic interests. Protect them. Protect them from the border. Protect them from crime. Protect them from 10% inflation and $17 uh, uh, McDonald's. Uh, Protect them from China. Protect them from bad trade deals. You know what I mean? There's a certain protection here 
that they want and they've been ignored for a long time. Now, Trump's been nurturing them, to be sure. But it's funny, he was gone for a couple years and now he's come roaring back and they're with him bigger than ever. Just fascinating me. Anyway, you two are terrific. Uh, really appreciate it. Joe Concha and Caroline Downey, thank you for coming on, giving us Saturday morning just chock full of politics. Folks, I'm Cudlow. We're going to take a little break, and we're going to talk to Breitbart's John Carney about the economy and the Federal Reserve and interest rates and all that good stuff. Please stick around. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Hello, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Great to be with you. And uh, we're going to focus on the economy for a little while with John Carney, uh, Breitbart News Economics and Finance Editor and co-author of the Breitbart Business Digest, which is a daily must-read. John, welcome back. I'm sorry I missed you on the TV. I was... Kind of under the weather, under the covers. But anyway, uh, did you talk about Chris Waller that night? Well, did we lose him? All right, we'll call him right back. Um, Christopher Waller is a Federal Reserve Board member, very smart guy. Uh, I had a lot to do with his appointment when I was working in uh, the Trump administration, President Trump of course, signed off on it. And Waller's a guy, this is the interesting part. I was trying to get, uh, I'm sure John Carney's got uh, some thoughts on the matter, but Waller is one of the few areas. I won't even continue. John Carney, sing if you're you're here. Oh, good. Okay. Just wave if you're here. Sing if you're here. Did you, when you, I couldn't make the show, I missed a couple days and, I'm trying to get better now here on radio. But um, did you talk about Christopher Waller? We did. Uh, there was a fantastic Wall Street Journal article that <laughs> yes. was written about him profiling him and how he had made the right call last year, which was that inflation would be able to come down mm. from, you know, from where we were at 9 percent. Uh, without there being a big rise of unemployment and without there being a recession. That was an out-of-consensus call last year. And uh, and he is. He's a very smart guy. He is willing to take unconventional stances like that. And I think he is now pretty much the intellectual leader at the Fed yeah. and probably a likely candidate to head the Fed once uh, Jerome Powell's term is up. He was my pick. Which was That's it, right. Which we was, owe you a what, debt of gratitude, Larry, what, for putting what, a very good guy on the Fed. Well, it's, uh, it was Trump's uh, signed off on it, but I found him through Jim Bullard, who was then running the St. Louis Fed, who highly recommended uh, Christian Waller and, um, you know, had him in the office, interviewed him, liked him. He had a great interview with Trump. I, as I said in the article, the Tim Reyes article, I said, well, in that meeting, Waller was a mensch, and Trump likes menches. <laughs> and they were very important because they both held their ground, but they got along very well. Anyway, Trump really liked him. So he, That's terrific. I think we're, 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 it's very good he's there. One of the things I like about Waller is that he doesn't just 
you know, stick to one script. He's willing to look at the data and see where it's going. And recently he has said, look, we got inflation down to, you know, a lot, but it is unlikely that this situation where the economy is growing very fast and inflation is falling is going to continue. He said one thing, he he gave a speech called something's got to give. One of those is going to give. And right now, what looks like it's giving is inflation is rising again. The economy is not slowing down. So the progress we made last year, we're not going to go back to 9% inflation. But it doesn't look like we're going to have the ongoing progress. And if you listen to Waller lately, that's what he's hinting at. He's saying the Fed is – the, this idea that the Fed was going to cut, you know, we were at six or seven times at the beginning of the year. It's down at three. I think it goes to zero. I don't think the Fed cuts at all this year. I'm with you. Um, Larry Summers was wrong. And, uh, <laughs> That's right. Because Waller, I guess as I understand it, uh, I read his speech, by the way, because you recommended it in uh, your digest. But, And then I sort of read the Nick Timoreus article uh, and it's a lot of scientific uh, jargon in there. But basically, firms uh, cut back on their vacancies rather than their jobs. That seems to be the gist of it. And so Waller seemed to understand that. I actually hadn't thought about that. And then Larry Summers attacked him. Uh, you know, Larry's a wonderful person. He attacks anybody he doesn't agree with. But he came around and said, all right, we're in I've something like we're in the seventh inning or I don't know. Game's not over yet, but so far Waller's ahead. But it is, you think about it, John, we've talked about this. Virtually the entire economics profession, including myself, at the beginning of last year, expected a big slowdown or recession, and it never happened. And it's a you know, bit of a mystery. So Waller's explanation um, about cutting back on vacancies rather than actual jobs I mean, I don't know if that's right, you know, but it could be right. It definitely seems to match up with what happened. We saw a, a pretty big we – were, we were at 12 million hmm. vacancies at one point, which was unheard of. And so we, we cut that down. But frankly, that's actually not happening anymore. We, get, we got down to a little under 9 million. The most recent January number was 9 million. We'll get another one uh, next week. But we've leveled out. It's plateaued. So mm-hmm. we're not reducing vacancies anymore. We're I mean, judging by the uh, unemployment claims number, we're not reducing jobs. Mm-hmm. And so the where the disinflation is going to come from, uh, especially with the market can still convince that there's going to be rate cuts, that has sort of revived animal spirits. There is uh, if you look at things like that, the you know high yield spreads, corporate issuance of debt. All of these things are telling you that the economy is going to keep growing. Uh, even the, the S&P Global Manufacturing uh, ISM, or sorry, not ISM, PMI survey mm. said actually that February was the best month of growth for the manufacturing sector in over two years. Mm. So this is, you know, the, the inflation is in danger of reigniting. The Fed, I think, is going to look at this stuff and say, unless something happens, and, you know, there, there could be an economic catastrophe that we don't see coming, but unless something happens, there's no need to cut, certainly, right? We're not seeing a giant rise in unemployment, so there's no need to cut, and there may be no ability to cut. 
because inflation is starting to return. Well, if you look at real GDP growth, so last year's third quarter was 4.9, big number. Um, then in the fourth quarter, it was 3.2, which is a big number too. Also, and the Atlanta Fed GDP tracker is saying about 3% in the first quarter. So that's a boomlet. That's a boomlet. So why would the Fed ease rates in a boomlet? That's right. There, there's no, there's no, it doesn't really make sense for them to ease rates. Uh, one of the things Waller's most recent speech was called, what's the rush? Mm. <laughs> and he said, look, we maybe we'll cut. Uh, you know, I do think we'll, we'll cut, but there's no rush to cut mm -hmm. because the economy is growing very rapidly. Even things like the, you know, uh, the various uh, issues that we were starting to see, uh, the housing market has bounced back. The manufacturing sector has bounced back. The services sector, if you look at the most recent unemployment, I'm sorry, the most recent inflation number, had in January a 7.4% annual inflation rate, annualized inflation rate in January. That is way too hot. Inflation is really high. And services uh, inflation is the stickiest. Once, mm. you know, you can, you can reduce goods inflation by producing more goods. You can't produce, more, you can produce more humans, but it takes a generation. So you're, you know, and you can increase the labor participation rate a little bit. But basically, once you get wage inflation, once you get services inflation, that becomes sticky. It looks like we're there. Inflation is not going to come down a lot, so the Fed can't. Yeah, core services, X housing, 0.6. So that's 7% monthly. But it's 4.1 for the three months, which is higher than the 12 months. It's gone the wrong direction. 12 months, 3.5. Um, you know what? Last point, John. I, uh, I don't know if you read Ed Yardeni who is mm -hmm. another person who uh, was not in the recession camp this year. In fact, he, he didn't predict the soft landing. He said there was no landing, just a good economy. Anyway, he's a terribly bright guy and a nice guy. Uh, he's been writing about these strength in corporate profits, which is so underrated as a business model. I mean, Joe Biden hates corporate profits, wants to tax them. Uh, actually, Donald Trump cut their tax rates, so he understood as a businessman. But the point is, I've always said, going back almost 20 years, profits are the mother's milk of stocks and the lifeblood of the economy. You have good profits, you get a good stock market, and if firms are making business, making money in their businesses, you know, they'll hire more and produce more. And so far, profits, I mean, he uses the S&P 500 profits. Uh, I don't have just about 30 seconds, but profits are strong, John. They're rising between 5 and 10%. And they're feeding into incomes, by the way. We saw a huge jump in incomes in the uh, in the most recent data for mm -hmm. the for and what that showed what that was from was dividend income. Because uh. the corporations are making this profits, handing the dividends over. People are then reinvesting that money and using it for consumption. Mm. So you're right. It's the as you taught us long ago, Larry. Profits are the mother's milk of the stock market and the economy, yeah. and that is going to drive the economy even higher. It's the one model that's worked. You know, M2 hasn't worked. The LEI has leading indicators. The inverted yield curve hasn't worked. Uh, now, to give credit where credit is due, Chris Waller's uh, m labor markets worked. But I'm just saying profits have worked.
Profits have worked. And until you see them dry up, I'd say the Cudlow Trust, which owns the index, will do very well. So, John Carney, thank you very much on a Saturday. We appreciate it. Folks, all right, I'm Larry Kudlow. Uh, I don't know, we had a disconnect there. Did John say goodbye? All right. Uh, hang on, we're going to talk to uh, Andrew Arthur, uh, resident fellow in Law and Policy Center for Immigration Studies. We're going to talk to him about this border story that I started the show with. Uh, barbed wire or concertina wire and barriers have stopped the immigrants, basically. There's got to be a lesson in that. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're going to bring in Andrew Arthur, resident fellow in Law and Policy Center for Immigration Studies. Andrew, or I think you like to be called Art, but you wrote a good piece in the New York Post. And I just want to go through this. I I went, I, I talked about this at the beginning of the show. But what we found out in a laboratory experiment with empirical evidence that if you put up concertina wire or barbed wire or whatever that wire is called and you create barricades, which could also include a wall, it slashes immigration. And the story in the um, Washington Examiner today is really quite remarkable. Uh, 99% decline in illegal immigration down there in... um, in uh, Shelby Park and, uh, you know, uh, Eagle, Texas, and so forth. From 8,000 per day down to 18 per day. Now, you have slightly different numbers because you're looking at the whole Rio Grande Valley. But, Art Arthur, I mean, doesn't that prove that (laughs) barriers can work? Yeah, absolutely, Larry, and thank you for having me on today. It's important to understand that about 1,250 miles of the 1,954-mile U.S. border with Mexico is in Texas. Mm. And Texas is the one state that's decided to fill the void that the Biden administration has created when it stopped building uh, fencing along the southwest border, when it started releasing migrants into the United States, when it ended Remain in Mexico, when it did all of those things that President Trump had done to bring the border under control. And, yeah, I mean— The entire uh, idea, in fact, it's in statute of Border Patrol's mission is to deter migrants from entering the United States. If there are concertina wire fences, which there are, I saw them putting them up uh, directly in advance of the end of Title 42 back uh, in last May. Mm. Uh, You know, that's going to prevent people from entering those major metropolitan areas. You and I have both been to the border, uh, you know, El Paso, Eagle Pass, Brownsville, where uh, President Biden was. Those are major metropolitan centers. Once you cross that river, you can run up the street, and you're just going to blend in uh, with the community. Nobody's ever going to find you. So, you know, the, the Texas's whole idea is, look, we want to make it as easy for our handful of Border Patrol agents, uh, you know, by cutting down the flow of migrants coming into the United States. That's long been U.S. policy, Trump, Obama, Bush, Clinton, Bush. Um, and, you know, Texas is actually doing what all of those prior administrations did. And we don't need, and yet, any, we don't need any more laws. I mean, I went back 
my listen, my riff on Friday, the TV show, uh, we did a little homework, but there's there's two laws here, all right, Arthur. One is 212F, and the other one is 287G, both in the Immigration and Nationality Act. And they were put on the books. Uh, I guess the last one was put on in 1996, Clinton years. Um, 212F's been around even longer. But they give the president congressionally legislated and mandate authority to keep uh, illegals out and to go into the interior and arrest illegals. It will override sanctuary cities. Two executive authorities that Joe Biden will never use because, because he's an open border guy. Let's face it. He calls them newcomers now. You know, newcomers. Holy cow. What happened to illegal aliens? Anyway, go ahead, Art. Yeah, but when you're talking about experiments, we're living through an experiment that Joe Biden started on January the 20th, 2021. He's decided to take all of the shockers off the system Hmm. and see what happens if we just, you know, allow people to come into the United States, see the effect. And we see the effect. I know you're a money guy. I mean, the municipal effects are huge. I calculated a few months ago that municipalities and states are going to incur about $421 billion in costs from this. That's on the high end. But, you know, that's also short term. Mm. This isn't just, you know, hotel rooms at the the Roosevelt Hotel, which, by the way, is very nice or was back in the day. This is education. This is health care. This is if you get sick and you've entered the United States illegally, even if you've been released, you don't have health insurance, so you go to the emergency room to get treated. Mm. You know, if you have a major laceration and you go to the emergency room, you, you may have to wait behind a kid who's got an earache because the emergency room has to take everybody. and It becomes the primary care facility. Mm. Housing. You and I both know that there's a housing shortage in this country. It dropped after 2008. It's never really come back. So, you know, when you bring... 3.3 million people, when you let 3.3 million people into the country, which is what the Biden administration has done, another 1.7 million, you know, evade those overwhelming yeah. control agents that come in. That's 5 million people who have to live somewhere. Well, they have the authority to deal with it. They just refuse to use it, and barriers work. Andrew Arthur, resident fellow in Law and Policy Center for Immigration Studies, thanks for coming on. Quick break, folks, and we'll go to our legal beagle, Greg Jarrett. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Things not going so well for special counsel Jack Smith or the Biden White House that is using lawfare and sabotage to prevent Donald Trump from becoming president again. So let's bring in Greg Jarrett, Fox News legal analyst. He's doing a hell of a job. Very busy guy. Of course, there's so much to be busy with. And his latest book, uh, The Constitution of the United States and Other Patriotic Documents. So, Greg, um, the immunity business, the Supreme Court has decided they will take up Mr. Trump's uh, plea defense or defense plea on immunity, which will set Jack Smith's trial back many months. And I was just reading this morning uh, down in Florida. That's the Washington, D.C. one down in Florida uh, Judge Cannon is not giving in to Jack Smith uh, with respect to various issues around discovery and evidence. So uh, 
I'd say Jack Smith uh, had a bad week. Well, and he deserves a bad week. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this, this is a guy who has brought two politically motivated cases, timed them to interfere in the uh, presidential election. Um, and, you know, he's basically getting spanked here. Mm. And I suspect the justices on the Supreme Court were offended that the appellate court, the Circuit Court of Appeals in D.C., in their ruling, uh, simply dismissed as unimportant or irrelevant an earlier landmark Supreme Court decision on immunity. Four decades ago, back then, the high court ruled presidents do enjoy absolute immunity from civil lawsuits. Mm -hmm. uh, the same reasoning enunciated back then in the 82 Nixon Fitzgerald case applies to criminal prosecutions now in the Trump case. And, and that is to say, any official act within the outer perimeter of a president's official duties are shielded. Hmm. And they must be. And I think the Supreme Court will now, in their ruling, uh, probably at the end of June, hmm. extend that principle to criminal culpability. Why? Because you know, the president holds a unique position in our constitutional republic. He or she must be free to make vital decisions without fear of either being sued or prosecuted and without any form of immunity. You know, future presidential decision-making would be hobbled or chilled by fear of being criminally charged by unprincipled and politically driven prosecutors. Yeah, well, that's the heart of it right there. And then Mr. Trump and his lawyers have maintained that pretty steadily. Um, you get closer and closer to the general election. Um, you know, I, I, I think it gets trickier and trickier. You know, Greg, yeah. Jack, really, you're going to start, a, 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 say, June. Uh, you're maybe right. That's when the Supremes hand down a lot of stuff, I guess. So when you'll start the actual trial in August or something like that. Or September, and yeah. you've got an election in eight weeks. I mean, the Supremes would know this. I mean, this is not what uh, the Chief Justice uh, wants for the Supremes to get embroiled in politics again. Well, uh, one of the things that people seem to be missing is, let's say the Supreme Court rules, as I predict, there's some immunity. They're not going to rule whether Trump had immunity, just the issue broadly of presidential immunity. Mm -hmm. That means they send the case back to the trial court, the federal trial court uh, judge, mm. um, to hold hearings and arguments and findings of fact as to whether the president was acting within the outer perimeter of his official duties. Now, that takes time. Hmm. And let's say that's finally resolved by the trial court judge ruling against Trump. Um, but then you've got to go through all the other pretrial motions and allow the defendant to prepare a defense based on hmm. the Supreme Court ruling and the trial court judge's decision. I mean, you cannot get a case to trial before the presidential election in the Washington, D.C. case. And the same may apply uh, for the classified documents case in Florida. And as for the Fannie Willis, he's also got immunity on that one as well. You know, it's, you know, it's so great. This guy, Jack Smith, the pro special prosecutor, blah, blah, blah. So he's telling everybody, hurry up, hurry up. 
But he's not telling us why he wants right. them to hurry up. Because if he did, that wouldn't be good. He'd say, why? Because they want to throw Trump in jail for 750 years and not become president again. Whoa, that might not work. So he's just trying to elbow and bully these things. And as you say, you can't. You can't bully the Supremes, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, he keeps insisting in rather broad terms, oh, this is important to democracy. It's uh, important to the functioning of the government and service to the public and so forth. No, he's not. He's not telling you the truth. And, and look, the Supreme Court knows that. <laughs> and so do the other judges below. Uh, but they're, you know, they're so far kind of letting him get away with that. Uh, he's a hyper-partisan. Greg, I worry about classified documents in an old Corvette sitting in a garage someplace in Delaware. Yeah. How about that one? Whatever happened to that? That's well, illegal. Uh, jo- That's Joe illegal. Biden, Joe Biden's too senile to be <laughs> tried, according to the <laughs> special counsel, Robert Hur, which is interesting. Uh, too senile to be tried in a court of law, but... According to his recent physical exam and his physician, yeah. oh, he's perfectly capable of, of running the greatest nation on earth. He's okay. You're exactly right. I saw that. He's okay, but not okay to get busted. I've never seen such hypocrisy, Greg Jarrett, utter hypocrisy. Um, okay, so you're our top legal beagle. Take a whack at the – you've heard all these televised hearings in uh, Fulton County in Hotlanta, Georgia, as I call it, with Fannie Willis, her boyfriend, her boyfriend's boyfriend, her girlfriend, her father. I mean, where's this come out, Greg Jarrett? You know, Fannie Willis is like the picture of Dorian Gray. She is (laughs) self-destructing before our very eyes. You know, her own misbehavior, Larry, has ruined her credibility. Her case against Trump is quickly disintegrating uh, Willis's testimony together with her lover, Nathan Wade, and then this week, uh, his ex-partner, Terrence Bradley. I mean, my goodness, that was a Three Stooges slapstick comedy, wasn't it? I mean, nobody could get their story straight. And, you know, the records belie the tale they're trying to spin here. Uh, But I do think Bradley's testimony this week was the nail in the coffin. Hmm. You know, he texted that Willis and Wade were absolutely having an affair uh, before Wade was hired. That puts a lie to their earlier testimony. He tried to weasel out of it. uh, But, you know, trust me, the judge wasn't buying that. So based on the code of ethics, the judge, it seems to me, has no choice but to disqualify both Willis and Wade. Yeah, remember when we were kids, Abbott and Costello? Yeah. Oh, they were so good. This is Abbott Costello in a live yeah, courtroom. Yeah, Larry and Curly. And, you know, maybe <laughs> Shemp is thrown in there somewhere. <laughs> Greg Jarrett, the best of the best. Uh, I love to sell books. So Greg's out there, the Constitution of the United States and other patriotic documents. The other one he wrote was on the Great Scopes uh, Monkey Trial. Greg, we'll talk again. Thanks for helping us. Take care, Larry. Thanks. Right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. And then famous Peter Schweitzer. One of the great investigative reporters of all time. He's got a brand new book out, Blood Money, Why the Powerful Turn a Blind Eye While China Kills Americans. Mr. Peter Schweitzer will be here in just a moment. Stick around. Larry Kudlow.
Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, everybody. With great pleasure, we bring in Peter Schweitzer, president of the Government Accountability Institute. And he's got a whole string of bestsellers. His latest book just out is called Blood Money, Why the Powerful Turn a Blind Eye While China Kills Americans. Been some great coverage in Breitbart and the New York Post and Politico, which is pretty cool. Anyway, Peter, welcome back. I'm Good so- to be with you, Larry. I'm sorry I missed you on TV. I was kind of under the weather. Understood. So we're glad you're here on the radio. You know, uh, look, I have not read the book yet, but I read a lot uh, in the Breitbart articles. So I was well aware of the fentanyl connection. Okay, I was well aware of it when I was in government, out of government. But here's what I didn't know. Talking about um, the gun trade, arming people in the United States or infiltrating guns, I didn't know anything about that. Maybe I should have. But that's new information to me, Peter, and I wondered if you could walk through there. This is China's disintegration warfare plans to kill Americans, and so social chaos and so forth. What can you tell us about that, Peter Schweitzer? Yeah, it's it's a comprehensive uh, strategy, uh, disintegration warfare, well-established, uh, based on a book written by military officers in 2010. Hmm. Um, and it's what it sounds like. The goal is to defeat the United States without actually having to fight the United States. So part of it is the fentanyl poisoning. They are involved in every stage of this poison coming into the United States, not just the precursors. The Mexican cartels are really the junior partners. Mm. Um, but you also have other things they're doing. They, uh, some of the very violent uh, Antifa-type protest groups operating in the United States, um, I established that there are financial ties um, and other um, uh, communication between those groups and China. And they're beholden to China, so they're promoting social chaos. And then you have the problem with what are called Glock switches or auto-sear switches. This is a small device, highly illegal in the United States. You can't manufacture it or own it in China either, uh, but you attach it to the back of a Glock handgun, and it turns that handgun into a fully automatic machine gun. And I got access to Department of Homeland Security, FBI reports uh, that they have been smuggling these, the Chinese have been smuggling these into the United States since 2018, thousands of them, specifically targeted at criminal gangs and drug syndicates. Uh, and it gives them enormous power when facing the police. As customs has gotten better at intercepting these things in the mail, what are they doing, Larry? They are now setting up manufacturing uh, facilities in Mexico because they want to smuggle them across the open border into the United States. So this is one of the reasons you're seeing the rise in machine gun fire and, and uh, violence on America's streets. And it's part of China's plan to destabilize us. Well, that's some story. The gun story, the Glock story, Peter, that is some story. I mean, I know that China has been infiltrating Mexico quite a lot. Uh, I just wasn't aware of this particular angle. And they're selling it. They're pushing it out to what these organized gangs and, that operate, you know, big yep. L.A., yep. Chicago, New York, for example. Exactly. Um, in fact, Homeland Security said in 2020, uh, this has reached a saturation point in Los Angeles, Miami, mm. and, and other urban cities. Uh, and, you know, here's the problem is not only does it sow chaos in our streets, 
China then runs stories. You can go on Chinese state media and they run stories about, look at what's going on in America, the disintegration of America. There's all this machine gun fire on the streets. Mm. What they omit, of course, is the fact that these devices were brought in from China mm. um, with the express purpose of, of, of engaging this behavior. And this is kind of part of something that China had done in the past. Remember in the 1990s, there was a big scandal when Norinco, a Chinese state-owned company, tried to smuggle 2,500 fully automatic machine guns mm. into the port of Los Angeles during the Clinton administration. Mm. Um, this is a new version of that, but it's even more potent because you don't need the big gun anymore. You've got these little devices that will create a machine gun out of a Glock handgun, and it's an enormous problem. And the Biden administration, as with fentanyl, as with these other issues, simply does not raise this issue with China. They want to take away the Second Amendment rights of American citizens when it comes to so-called assault rifles. But somehow they don't want to confront the Chinese and say, why are you doing this? Why are you selling these openly on Alibaba in English Hmm. to Americans and targeting them to criminal gangs in our country? Uh, Folks, we're listening to Peter Schweitzer and his new book called Blood Money – why the powerful turn a blind eye while China kills Americans. Peter, just to continue that last thought, how much of this is because the Biden's double dealing and influence peddling has completely compromised them with respect to China? How much do you think that is? Is it linked? I think that's a big, big component. I mean, you always uh, have the lingering policy prescription of, oh, we just need to be open and, and kind with China. That policy, of course, has failed. A lot of it has to do with the personal ties. And one of the things I point out in blood money is, Larry, it's not just money from China. It's where that money comes from in China. So if you look at the fentanyl trade, the Sinaloa cartel in Mexico, they are the kings of fentanyl. Mm. Everybody acknowledges that. Well, there is a Chinese criminal gang called UBG that set them up in the fentanyl trade. Um, and, and the head of that gang is a guy named Zhang Anlo, who goes by the name White Wolf. Mm. The head of that criminal gang, White Wolf, had a business partner. That business partner is one of the Chinese businessmen that sent $5 million to the Biden family. Mm. So you literally have mm. one degree of separation between the first family of the United States Mm. and Chinese gangsters who are involved in setting up the fentanyl trade, which is now killing 100,000 Americans and is the leading cause of death for people under the age of 45 in the United States. Mm. And we know that China continues spying, hacking, infiltrating colleges, everything. We know that, flying balloons over the country. And it's like the Bidens didn't really lift a finger. That's the part I do not understand. You know, Peter, I saw it a uh, few years ago in the in the Situation Room downstairs in the in the West Wing. The FBI gave us a blood curdling uh, demonstration report. Remember the Chinese phone company Huawei? We've since banned them, right? But yeah. they were yeah. very big. They had a big toehold in the United States, so they put up. Just ordinary telephone poles, right? No, and, you know, like there's telephone poles in Kansas. There's telephone poles in the suburbs. Hang on a second. The Huawei telephone poles had ultra-tiny cameras trained, and they would build these pole systems next to U.S. military bases. (laughs) Blood-curdling report from the FBI. I mean, there were like 20 of us in that room. Everybody, you know, the upper echelons, and there it was. And right after that, we just— 
finally busted Huawei right out of the country. But they ordinary wooden member that wooden telephone yeah. poles. I mean, we grew yeah. up with them. Well, they had many, many cameras, and they would build this stuff right next to military bases. Yeah. Colorado, the Dakotas, Northern California. The damnedest thing. They'll stop yeah. at nothing. Well, and, and, and Larry, we had in the Trump administration an administration that was prepared to, to challenge and confront China on these issues. Mm-hmm. And that's the part that's shocking to me. I mean, if you look at between COVID, uh, I have a section in the book on COVID, mm. not only the people that died from COVID, which I think pretty much everybody clearly acknowledges was a lab leak. This was not a natural occurrence. Mm-hmm. But as I point out in the book, they took a series of steps to, to uh, increase America's body count mm. uh, in COVID. So we lost a million with COVID. We're losing 100,000 a year through the fentanyl poisoning. We're losing thousands of others through violence that's occurring in our streets. So you literally have the United States suffering these casualties that are wartime casualties. Mm -hmm. I mean, from fentanyl, we lose every year the equivalent of the combat deaths in Vietnam and Korea. Mm. And yet this administration has nothing negative to say about China. They'll ding them on human rights. They'll say something about Taiwan. When Joe Biden meets with, with President Xi to talk about fentanyl, he goes out of his way and says publicly, it's not about finger pointing. Well, then what's it about? Um, and that, I think, is the, the, the glaring uh, uh, situation we're in. America's on fire. Uh, China is standing there with an empty can of gasoline, and the Biden administration is saying nothing about it. Um, and that's the most troubling part, I think, about the book, the lack of action by our political class. You know, Peter, I was there, uh, the G20 meeting in um, Buenos Aires, Argentina. I guess mm-hmm. it was 2019. And was on for a couple of days. We had dinner with Xi Jinping, right? I yeah, mean, it was like yeah. long table. The, the two presidents across, and each president had their top aides and so forth. And the first thing Trump said was fentanyl. He raised yeah. it. First thing he said. Yeah. But yeah. but you know what? Xi Jinping lied because he said he was going to make it a capital offense. He said he was going to send the cops on it. And the story's gotten, as you've chronicled, vastly worse. I mean, he just lied. He he's yeah. he told us what we all wanted to hear, and it did sound convincing at that moment. You know how you hear something at that moment, and right. you know Trump is a tough guy; he's no pushover. But they yeah. they know uh, China never followed through, never yeah. followed through. That's- and you you know you don't expect somebody to lie to your face, but the thing we have to keep in mind is two things about President Xi. I think that 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 people may not appreciate. Number one. He idolized his father. His father was a CCP official. He made a mausoleum. His father, one of his father's famous acts, was as a 14-year-old boy poisoning a teacher because he wasn't sufficiently revolutionary. The second thing is President Xi's wife is a singer who serenaded the troops at Tiananmen Square after the massacre. Peter Schweitzer, the name of the book is Blood Money, Why the Powerful Turn a Blind Eye While China Kills Americans. Peter, thank you. Terrific stuff. We appreciate it very much. Folks, quick break. On the other side of the break, we will do some stock market work. How about that? Please stick around. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. It is a great pleasure to be with you. 
By the way, um, during the week, Fox Business. Name of the show is Cudlow. Monday through Friday, 4 to 5 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. And if you can't get us... uh, can't get us at four, just uh, text, your, text your favorite nine-year-old. She'll show you how to DVR the show. You'll never miss a thing. Fox Business, name of the show's Cudlow. And here, you can corral us on the internet. Live streaming, LarryCudlowShow.com, LarryCudlowShow.com. Plays all across the country, around the world, throughout the solar system. And um, we've developed quite a following in the Milky Way. If somebody would tell me what that really is. Anyway, um, so we got both of them on? One of them on. All right, we're going to start with Jimmy Urio. We have some technical issues. We can't get two people on at the same time. Such is life. Jimmy Urio is an old and dear friend, uh, director of the TJM Institutional Services. In addition to being a shrewd investor, he is Chicago's number one restaurateur. How are the restaurants, Jim Urio? What can you tell us there? The restaurant business has changed a ton. Just to put it in perspective, in two and a half years, mm. the, the amount we had to make in a week just to cover our expenses, let's just say, let's throw that uh, you know, rough out at 50 grand a week just to cover our expenses. We don't make a penny until we hit that number. Mm. That number is now 50% higher than it was two Ooh. and a half years ago. Ooh. It's unbelievable. We're still doing okay. It went from being a great business to being a pretty good business, and hopefully it'll you know, hit some equilibrium level over the next couple of years because we can't raise prices to the level we need to to make the same amount of money we were making two and a half years ago. But we're, we'll be patient. It'll be fine. Is it food? Is it labor? What is it? It's all of it. And all when it. I bought the restaurant, I thought that it was going to be you know just a food was the biggest input cost. We bought a cooktop equipment. We, we bought a cooktop for six grand ten years ago, mm. and uh, the same exact model we just replaced for twenty two grand three months ago. Mm. And then you want to talk about labor in the state of Illinois? It is absolutely punitive what oh, they're yeah. doing yeah. to small business. And every year, like businesses are doing worse, and the, and the state government comes by and says, "Oh, now you have to give them a." You have to pay them for a, an hour every 40 hours. You know, 16-year-old kids that we employ, you know, just to keep them off the street, basically, at our restaurant. Now I have to pay them 15 bucks an hour and an extra, you know, an extra hour every 40. So the whole thing is, is laughable. 20 in California now. But then you've got these goofballs in Illinois. Uh, they want to keep Trump off the ballot. I mean, what does that tell you? Illinois. What tells you that they don't, they don't care about what people think. Right. They care about what they think. Uh, it's... Uh, I just keep scratching my head. Everything is crazy. Even going back to the economy, they argue with us it's a good economy, yet they've racked up $34.4 trillion of debt mm. most of it in the last couple of years. And then they look us in the eye and say, no, everything's fine. I, this is, Larry, this, you're catching me at one of the most frustrated times, and all I do is laugh about it. But this is just a crazy world we're living in. Well, vote early and often. That's all I can tell you. Vote early. You're Chicago, Chicago style. Vote early and often. <laughs> right. So um, stock market is still strong. Last week was kind of flattish, but still you're dealing at very high levels. I wanted to ask you, you know, I read uh, Ed Yardeni. He's a very smart guy. I'm sure you know Ed Yardeni. You may get his stuff. And one thing that uh, he's been talking about that I think is very important for stocks is my model that the uh, profits are the mother's milk of stocks and the lifeblood of the economy. So I was looking at Yardeni last night. Um, he's got uh, an 11% increase in 2024. This is for S&P 500 earnings, okay? 
250 bucks. And then in 2025, uh, he's got a eight, an 8 percent uh, increase. And so I did, so he's at 275. So with his estimates, you're at 20.5 times earnings, price earnings multiples uh, for this year. That's the yearly forecast. And um, next year, if he got what he got, it would be 19 times. So you're running 19, 20 times earnings. He's, um, he's a little better than the consensus, but not that much better than the consensus. And I'm just thinking that, look, as long as profits keep up, like this. It's good for stocks and it's good for the economy. It's not Joe Biden's spending that's doing it. It's not Joe Biden's regulations. It's not Joe Biden's killing off uh, fossil fuels where the production should be uh, thousands, uh, million barrels per day better. Um, it's profits, ordinary American private sector businesses, Jim Urio. That's what I'm thinking here. This this is kind of your way of taking like a 15-year victory lap of the argument we've been having where I, where, where I continually say that it's government spending and it's loose money policy that's driving stocks. And right now it doesn't seem like I'm right and it seems like you're wrong. But, I, but I'm not ready to 100% throw in the towel. I think that what Ed Yardini is saying, and I do think Ed's a very smart man and I do know him. I, I have nothing but respect for him. I do think the the data we've seen starting from mid-February with that retail sales number. The data we've seen is declining, not increasing, in my opinion. And that's why I think we're starting, we went from pricing in just three eases in 2024 to now pricing in four, just in the matter of the last couple of weeks. So I think the market is telling us a couple of things. One, that that is certainly a possibility, what Ed is saying. But I think the market also knows that the first sign of burning timbers falling from the ceiling, mm. the Fed will react. And we know that for fact now because they did it one year ago, essentially one year ago today, like the day after SVB and Signature Bank started, you know, became known that they were having problems. They opened up the bank term funding, uh, funding program, and like it, it literally took them no time to increase their balance sheet help. So I think there's this confidence that the Fed is in the background. It's an election year. It's not politically uh, it's not a politically good idea to raise rates higher than they should be to stop the economy. So I think it's a combination of all those things. But I don't, I don't think that's wrong. I just think it's oversimplistic to say it's just about the profits being the most. Does that make sense? Well, sure. Look, I mean, it's virtually a Goldilocks economy that he's describing. And that does not go on forever. And particularly when Washington is at loggerheads with private business and private enterprise and so forth. So uh, granted. Um, I'm just saying a year ago, I was very pessimistic about the economy as the Fed was tightening and the economy outperformed. It wasn't just me. It was practically the entire economics profession. Practically the entire profession was wrong. Um, Christopher Waller at the Fed was right. Ed Yardeni was right. But others who thought there'd be a, a steep downturn were incorrect. And I'm in that camp. And so I've been looking, you know, a lot of models, the inverted yield curve model didn't work. Um, the M2 model didn't work. The leading indicators model didn't work. So I'm saying, well, profit seems to have worked. And if Can that continues, if that continues, you're in, you know, you're going to have a good year. I don't know. That's what it looks like. Well, you know, the M2 money supply model, yes, it contracted 4.6%, which was absolutely historic. But we have to add in, too, that since last April, M2 is going higher based on the drunken sailor spending that's going from the government. So that's, you know, when I started this out with, this is this is crazy to me that we get three percent GDP, mm. which essentially for Q4 that you know equated to like let's call it three hundred eighty billion dollars of you know of economic growth. At the same time, we accumulated eight hundred billion dollars 
of uh, of government debt. The, the whole thing the whole thing is nuts that they say everything is fine. If everything was fine, why would they be you know doing every Keynesian thing to uh, to push this economy into a good direction? So I, I think you know the fact that M two money supply has grown over the last last year, not mm. com- contracted. It's just mean reversion to me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I, yes. I mean, I don't know. There are many ways to measure the Fed, so that's an interesting point. Um, but you know, you're running, you're running deficits at six to seven percent of GDP each year, more or less two trillion dollar deficits, and you have full employment, and you have uh, disinflation, and you have decent growth. So you ask yourself, why are we doing that? Well, that's because the progressives, Joe Biden, they want to spend, spend, spend. They'd love to tax. They just can't get the votes. They are regulating. Like, I mean, they're waging war against the private sector. Progressives don't like the private sector. I might add progressive. Zero question about that. Joe Biden, you know, I can talk about profits. Joe Biden hates profits. He wants to tax profits to the high heavens. He wants to roll back the Trump tax cuts. That's what he wants to do. He just couldn't get the votes to do it, thankfully. Yep. But, yeah, there, there's no question they're socialists. You've mentioned energy before. Yeah, and they, they energy. They sometimes that we're pumping a lot of uh, fossil fuels. Yeah, that reflects policies from five to seven years ago. The fact that they're completely at war with them now, this administration had the gall to to uh, try to limit fossil fuel companies' access to capital markets and in the same week call them to ask why they weren't pumping more <laughs> about a year and a half ago. So the whole thing is so is so ridiculous that, I, again, I, I scratch my head. But I do think that the trading thesis – that I adopted six, eight months ago, which was Bitcoin, gold, mm. real estate, even, you know, stocks to a lesser extent. You know, that thing. You saw gold did yesterday, right? What did gold do yesterday? Wait, wait, it wait. Exploded. I got it here. Oh, yeah. Went up. Went up. Yeah. But yeah, I love Bitcoin. It broke out of a range. Yeah. Bitcoin, 62,746. <laughs> Holy cow. I don't even know what the heck Bitcoin is. Bitcoin is up. BlackRock. I know. Bitcoin is up 166% over the last 52 weeks. <laughs> and you know what my thesis was? It's when incredible. BlackRock, our overlords, decided to get into it, ah, so did I. Our overlords. <laughs> That's so wonderful. Uh, all right. Uh, because of this technical snafu, I'm going to say goodbye and bring in John Nigerian. I can't do both of you at the same time. I apologize. I'll see you, my friend. Have a good day. Jim Urio, the best of the best. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, what do we do? We take a break and then again bring Nigerian in. All right, folks, stay with us. We're a one, we're a one horse radio network right now. I'm Cudlow. Much more excitement coming. Please stick around. This is the Larry Cudlow Show. Back to the Larry Gudlow Show. We welcome back on the stock market story my pal John Nigerian, co-founder of Market Rebellion. John, I apologize. Some technical snafus. We can only have one caller at a time. It's very primitive. We may get it fixed or we may not, but you're nice to go along. So, John, you missed this great discussion. Jim Muriel came close to saying to me that my model that profits are the mother's milk of stocks could be right. Usually, he, he's, this is a 15-year argument. Could be a 20-year argument. Uh, he's into interest rates. I'm not, a, I'm not out of interest rates, but I think uh, profits. And we were citing um, Ed Yardeni's work. And, you know, Ed basically has profits rising 8 to 10% for the next two years, uh, which would – this is for the S&P 500, which would give you about a 20 times 
price earnings multiple, which it's not cheap, but it's not that expensive either. So I just wonder what you were thinking about the profit story. Well, I, I've always agreed with you, and I, I suspect Jim has too, uh, that they are the mother's milk. Mm. Um, I, I think you've got to have a situation. We've got a lot of stocks, for instance, right now, Larry. You know, it's not just Palo Alto Networks. Mm. It's not just some of the other either cloud or perhaps Internet security and so forth. Things that you know would be very, very popular, um, but that they're crashing because the profits are not there or the profits are down substantially. Mm. And every week we see one of these, a disaster du jour, where the stock drops 25, 28%. Um, You see some wonderful, very positive news. I'm not a negative Nelly, but you see something like Viking Therapeutics. We know America's very obese and they have a phase two trial that was very successful for their obesity treatment that I'll, I'll say is somewhat similar to Ozempic and what it hopes to accomplish, but it's not even in the market yet. But that stock jumps 100% in a single day. Hmm. Um, it's all about how much money can you make. Um, and if you're growing, you're going to need to borrow money. And so the cost of funds does make a huge difference. If you're Apple, cost of funds doesn't really affect you because you're just doing an arbitrage, as you and I know, Larry, hmm. where Apple makes hundreds of billions of dollars and then borrows anyway. Why? Because back in the day, you know, two and three years ago, it was so darn cheap for them to borrow. Are they borrowing at that same level now? No. And so that's an indication that your uh, Jim's point about interest rates is well-founded. But I think overall things will be fine. But I do think that you need to see the profits uh, or or you're not going to see the market continue to climb, especially at 22, 24 times earnings. If these, um, particularly the techie-related companies in whatever manifestation, if these profitless companies get smashed, you know, or go bankrupt, I mean, that may be a good thing. would that allow us to avoid a, the kind of tech crash that we had uh, back in the year 2000? Sure, it would. Sure, it would. Because uh, right now, of course, everybody is uh, hoping to cash in a little on or a lot on mm. the AI craze. Mm. And so artificial intelligence not going away. It's here to stay. People are going to be using it. And companies like Micron um, that are all about memory. And so forth, companies like Super Micro uh, Computer, SMCI, uh, those companies, I think, in fact, Super Micro just is getting added to the S&P 500 mm. um, because it's up 20x in the last two years, 20 times mm. higher mm. in the last two years. And that's because they make the rack systems, they make the servers, they, they do a lot of the things that you need, the picks and shovels that you and I always love to cite our the same things from the 1849 in California with picks and shovels to the uh, uh, tech equivalent of that today. My best years, middle of the 19th <laughs> century. I love that stuff. Uh, how about some of these commodities, crude oil and copper, gold? Gold went up 2.5% last week, I think, some such thing. Gold, silver, crude. What do you make of that, uh, Mr. Nigerian? I would say that uh, the the move of crude back above 78 has 
come without too much fanfare. Mm. And of course, only people who are either long crude or um, servicing that industry in one way or another are enthused about that mm. um, because that means higher costs for everything. And again, you and I talk about that all the time. Mm. Um, delivered by ships, that's diesel or fuel oil, uh, delivered by airplanes, Jet A, uh, delivered by trucks. You know, yes, there are some electron, electric trucks, EVs, but there's an awful lot more diesel and gasoline-powered vehicles delivering things. All of a sudden, we've moved very quickly to 78, and they've tried to brush that under the rug. Mm. And sooner or later, they're going to have to say, yeah, this is really crimping airlines and profitability. It's really crimping um, a lot of the delivery companies and even some mm. of the biggest, like Amazon and so forth, IKEA, all the big companies that rely on things being delivered from Asia to here. Yeah, gasoline at the pump, uh, AAA, it's creeping up. It's creeping up. Instead of heading below three, it's actually up to three and a quarter, 327, you know, based on the wholesale price of uh, oil in the open market. Anyway, John Najarian, co founder, Market Rebellion, we appreciate it, John. Next time, we'll be able to have both of you on at the same time. And All right. I'll take... see you in New York soon, Larry. Yes, Thank sir. You. Good luck. Appreciate it. Folks, stick around. I'm Cudlow. We're going to go money and politics. We think we can do Liz Peak and Steve Moore. Maybe. If we can't, we'll just do them separately. Whatever. I'm Cudlow. We're having great fun here. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're going to do some money in politics with Liz Peek, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist, and Steve Moore, WABC radio host of More Money, coming right after this show on many of these same stations. He also hangs out with FreedomWorks and Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline. So welcome back, kids. Um... Liz, Tuesday is Super Tuesday. Why do I care? <laughs> well, what's going? Think, what, what is so important about it? Because it, it will put an end, presumably, to any pretense of an ongoing Republican primary. Oh. Uh, I mean, it's impossible to imagine that Nikki Haley will continue to campaign in the remi- remaining primaries because Donald Trump will walk away with most, I think, all the states probably on Super Tuesday, and that will be that, presumably. So I, I really don't know any path forward for her beyond that. So I think that's good, because then Donald Trump can move to the general election. That has very uh, profound implications in terms of fundraising. Uh, and frankly, he needs that. He needs to raise some money at this point. Uh, and in terms of Joe Biden, it, you know, he's <clears throat> he's presumptive candidate also. So... It, let the let the games begin. Let's mm. get this out of the way and let's get on to the general election because that's where we are. Steve Moore, you know, uh, our pal, super economist Larry Lindsay wrote a very interesting piece this past week showing that he looked at the Federal Election Commission's numbers on donors. OK, donors. And guess who, by I think three to one gets the most donors of $200 or less. <laughs> guess who, guess who's the, who, and, and wait, I'll add, I'll even this out. 
And guess who gets the most donors from millionaires or more? Must yeah, be Republicans. I, I Republicans are yeah. the rich people in America. Oh, wait a minute. The numbers don't bear yeah. that out. <laughs> Yeah, it was a fascinating. I did see that analysis, and he also talked about how he looked at you know, the biggest uh, donor base for uh, for uh, Joe Biden is is guess what occupation? Actually, it's professors, Liars. professors, it's university university professors. <laughs> yeah, it's professors. I love that. <laughs> it, it dovetails well with you know the thing we did at the Committee to Unleash Prosperity on the super elite. You know that. Uh, you know, it's clear that people who, you know, went to Harvard, Princeton, Yale and are university professors and so on, they're, they're living in a kind of different America than, than working class Americans. Um, I want to make one point about Nikki Haley. You know, I've always liked Nikki Haley. I think she's fine. Uh, and I think she's doing herself great damage mm-hmm. by staying at, you know, this race. I think all she's doing is really um, alienating herself from any political future. So if I were advising her, I'd say get out, get out, get out uh, if she wants a a political future. I don't know if you guys agree with that, but I just think she looks silly right now. Um, I I agreed with it three months ago. Yeah, you're right. She should have got out a long time ago. I mean, look at her percentages have gone down. Yeah. Right? She said— By the way, you know, one other quick thing. You know, I was kind of disappointed that uh, Trump—in which state was that where he won 60-40? South Carolina. I said, Mm. oh, I'm surprised that Trump only got 60 percent. But then my friend John Fund, who's much more of an expert on policy than I am, made the point that I would like to know how how many of those 40 percent that Nikki Haley got were Democratic voters. Because um, if you take out the Democratic voters, I would bet, and this is just a hunch on my part, that Trump probably won 75 to 80 percent of the Republican vote. Yeah, and she well, got- and that and and that's Steve. Why that's why she had great hopes for South Carolina. It wasn't because she was going to win the Republican right. vote in right. South Carolina, but in the Democrat primary, uh, only about 113 or 130 thousand Democrats voted, meaning there are about 350 thousand who voted in that primary in 2020 who could have come over and voted for her and probably some of them did so it, when the poll when people kept referencing the polls and comparing that to actually uh what the vote total was on the day i thought that was really disingenuous because the polls i think mostly reflected likely republican voters not you know yes. the combination well some of, of them vote, uh, some of them yeah. were all included they put in Dumb, dummy variables based on last year's or but, 22 turnout. Not but, a Larry, the other big the, the, the other big thing that's going on though that is really causing my Democratic friends to really hyperventilate is that you know look it's early we've got nine months before this election but Trump is winning by eight in Georgia mm-hmm. he's winning by three or four points in Michigan he's tied in Pennsylvania uh, and he's winning in Arizona mm-hmm. and if those numbers hold up Donald J Trump will be the next president of the United States. So hold on here's the. Um... Front page, New York Times. Uh, voters doubt Biden's leadership and, fa- and favor Trump. And favor Trump. That's yeah. the Times Siena poll finds. Shane Goldbacher is writing this up. Now, here's so they've got him plus five. But it's very interesting here. Only one in four voters think the country is moving in the right direction. Wow. More than twice as many voters believe Biden's policies have personally hurt them as helped them. Uh, It it gets better. Seriously. 
Wow. Uh, share of voters who strongly disapprove of Biden's handling of his job has now reached 47 percent higher than in time Siena polls at any point in his presidency. Now, here's something that's very interesting. Mr. Trump's ability to consolidate the Republican base is better than Mr. Biden, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that uh, Trump mm-hmm. has unified the base of his own party, and it yep. shows up uh, starkly in the current thinking of 2020 voters. Trump is winning 97 percent of those <laughs> who say they voted for him four wow. years ago. Ninety-seven percent. And virtually none of his past supporters said they are casting a vote for Biden. In contrast, Biden is only winning 83 percent of his 2020 voters, with 10 percent saying they now back Trump. Now, that's interesting because people were yapping. A a lot of dumb yapping was going on about how, you know, Nikki Haley got 40 percent and Trump can't unify the party. That is just not true. Once again, yapping uh, at the moment, I'm not going to name the yappers, but I'm just saying, (laughs) you know, this is the New York Times, right? A a very far right conservative newspaper (laughs) who is dying to endorse Donald Trump for president. Not. But this is their poll. The Siena poll is a pretty good poll, by the way. Yeah, it is. Think about the Democratic coalition, the traditional Obama Democratic coalition, young voters. We did a piece on your show when you were not in the other night Mm -hmm. talking about Gen Z, which is overwhelming now, Mm -hmm. approving of Donald Trump's presidency. I find that unbelievably shocking because Mm -hmm. young people traditionally are left leaning anyway, and they sure hate Donald Trump. Apparently not so much anymore. Black voters, we know that that's gone from like 94 percent, I don't know, in some polls down to certainly low 70s. And Hispanics, definitely a majority in some polls are. So, I mean, the Democratic coalition is fractured right now. And you add in the Palestinian issue. Holy moly. I mean, that's. You know, they're really they have a problem. And I I just don't think that, Larry, I just don't. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I just don't think there are enough university professors in this country to um, to swing it. President. <laughs> I know. See, he's but put. It, but he, can I just make one other quick point? Trump has been so much on his game, you know, in the last three months. Mm-hmm. And if we'd been talking when we were talking six or nine months ago, there was great, you know, a lot of doubt about whether Trump could put it together again. And he has. Well, and it's been a great had dinner the other night with Jason Miller. He's run a fantastic campaign. Mm-hmm. It's been professional. Trump, if, you know, I've always said there's a good Trump and bad Trump. And all we've seen for the last six months, with a, maybe a couple exceptions, is the good Trump. You know, here's the um, Siena poll. Biden and Trump were dead even among prized independent voters, drawing 42 percent each. See, that's a big one for Trump because everybody's telling us Trump can't win independent voters. That was Nikki Haley's argument. And the yeah. left-wing commentary had bought into it. And then it says over and over again, the Times Siena poll revealed how Mr. Trump has cut into more traditional Democratic constituencies while holding his ground among Republican groups. The gender gap is no longer benefiting Democrats. Women really? who strongly favored Biden four years ago are now equally split, while men gave Trump a nine-point edge. The poll showed Trump edging out Biden among Latinos— and Mr. Biden's share of the black vote is shrinking, too. There. I mean, that's something. All right. I, you know what? I, I, I don't believe that last part. I, I just continue to think that the game changer, and I hope I'm wrong about this, is the abortion issue, which Republicans still haven't yeah. really come up with a plan. And I, I just don't think that the gen, I do think there is a gender gap. Well, and we got to figure out how we're going to talk about that issue. Uh, I believe everything in the, the New York Times. 
I believe everything they write, especially when, oh, golly. Especially when yeah, I agree So here's with a it. question for you guys. Today, the New York Times had a front page article about unemployment in California, which I thought, which is high, by the way, mm. uh, really high in some parts of California, uh, defying the national trend. Mm-hmm. So my question reading this was like, OK, wait a minute. They don't want Joe Biden. They've made that pretty clear, I think, by fact checking him and doing things that cause liberals hair to go on fire. Why are they also going after Gavin Newsom? Because this is not a good not a good week for him with this whole brouhaha about carving out um, bread bakers from his uh, minimum wage hike. But now now we. Yeah. Yes. I mean, theoretically, other (laughs) other dough makers, too. Uh, I mean, it's such a silly story, but, you know, total total corrupt pay for play Democrat state kind of thing. But here we also have um, an article, pretty long article, about how California can't provide employment. I, I found that kind of surprising. Who are they aiming for if, if not Gavin Newsom? What is the New York Times hoping will emerge in this Democratic race? I have no idea. They want, they, they want Gretchen Whitmer, Whitmer of Michigan. $20 Maybe. an hour. $20 an hour minimum wage. Can you imagine? Yeah. $20. I got to take a break. We can come back and do $20 <laughs> an hour. There's a lot of weird stuff uh, going on. Well, some, some of the senators want $50 an hour. By the way, I want to talk to you about these Republicans that don't want to cut taxes in the Senate. That's another thing. Liz yes, Peake, Fox you. News contributor. Steve Moore, Freedom Works, Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline. And he's got his WABC radio show. It's called More Money. And it follows this show on many of these same stations. I'm Kudlow. Be right back. Larry Kudlow. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm talking money and politics with Liz Peek, Fox News contributor, and Steve Moore, Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline, and WABC radio host More Money, following this show on many stations. Uh, Steve Moore, uh, what's wrong with Senate Republicans? They don't want to cut taxes. I don't get it. Yeah, not only, you mean they don't necessarily want to cut taxes, but some of them are talking about raising taxes, and that is, uh, mm. you know, has become, you know, our commanding height in the budget debate is never agreeing a penny of new taxes. I mean, you and I go back to when Ronald Reagan agreed to uh, remember the three dollars of spending cuts, Larry, for yeah. one dollar of tax increases, <laughs> and Reagan spent the next seven years saying, "When am I going to get those three dollars of spending cuts?" Uh, there's a naivete of some of these. Republicans who think somehow that raising taxes is going to reduce the, the deficit. Um, that's not good. We have to get control of spending. And then, Larry, we have to get growth up to 3.1%. Mm-hmm. If we get growth up to 3.1%, you start to bend the curve down. And the economy you know, grows faster than the debt. And that's what I want to see. I'd be careful here, though. A lot of this opposition is to the child tax credit. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, we put this as part of the Trump plan. And it was designed... Uh, to help families. It's not a bad thing. Now, if it's runaway and there's no this and no that, and I know there's work requirements that always could be strengthened. But basically, as I read that, the child tax credit, which is part of the deal with Jason Smith and, and Ron Wyden yeah. in the Senate, uh, it's basically indexing it for inflation. That's the key part. And I don't think Republicans should necessarily knee-jerk oppose um, pro-family legislation, including tax laws. Yeah. It's not the worst just, thing in the world. Just, 
Yeah, just given, to clarify, I, I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about some of these Senate Republicans saying they would go for a budget, a deficit reduction deal. Oh, that's crazy. That's the Mitt Romney nonsense. Yeah. No, no, that's a tax trap. But I mean, this yeah. bill, yeah. which would extend um, immediate expensing and write-offs of research and development, things that help business, mm -hmm. which help jobs and help workers, and mm -hmm. you throw in the child tax credit. I mean, Liz, the GOP sometimes, you know, they... They don't know how to compromise or they don't know how to merge interests or it all has to be black and white and it shouldn't be. Well, it, it sailed through the House, Larry. I mean, uh, the good news is Republicans in the House are on board with this. Mm -hmm. it, sound, it sounds to me, reading between the lines, that Senate Republicans were just missed that they weren't part of the – the chefs mm. in the kitchen that they kind of felt left out. I mean, it's so stupid because I agree with you. This bill looked on the surface, at least, and to my sort of untrained eye on the arcania of tax legislation, <laughs> like a very good deal. I mean, again, good stuff for business, making some tax uh, cuts permanent. Uh, and yes, finally, uh, Republicans have something to brag about coming out of the House that's good for average working families. I mean, what's wrong with that? So you've got uh, Mark Wayne Mullen, yes. J.D. Vance, yes. Todd Young, yes. But you've got, um, you know, a lot of friends of ours, Ron Johnson being one of them. I don't know. Mike Crapo hasn't figured it out yet. Crapo will reach the right decision. I know it was because he's a very smart man. Uh, Tom Tillis, no. Ron Johnson, no. Mitt Romney and Mike Lee of Utah, who have backed other child tax credit expansions? No, that's crazy. Come on, I don't get that. This at is all, from the Wall Street Lee Journal. Yeah, has always backed um, tax child tax credits. I don't yeah. understand that. Well, they're losing their mind. That's what happens, uh, modern day America. You just kind of lose your mind. So um, we're going to do away with this. Uh, what what is uh, you know another big event coming up this week is the. Um, is the sparkling State of the Union message yeah. by our president. You know, yeah. he, is, he is the only president we have, and he's going to deliver a State of the Union message, Liz. You excited about that? Uh, I'm really depressed about it because I know he's going to come out and blast. This, was, uh, this has already been leaked. Uh, blast the 1%, talk about how the wealthy are getting away with murder, which you mm. and I and Steve can argue till our mm. face turns mm. blue, but nobody's going to really pay any attention. It sells mm. to the masses, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and also he's going to blame greedy corporations for shrinkflation, mm. which the New York mm -hmm. Times again today tied to do a very valiant job to uphold, but really kind of came away saying it's already been in place for a long time. Um, but also it's just a testament to, guess what, inflation. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of lies and – and, you know, divisive and, and Joe Biden trying to regain his footing with that mm -hmm. coalition that we discussed earlier by being sort of angry at everybody. And, you know, it is interesting. People don't like Joe Biden very much anymore. And by the way, I was going to say on Nikki Haley, biggest problem Nikki Haley has right now is her unfavorables yeah. have gone through the yeah. roof. Through the roof. People has, just don't like her she right has now. only herself. Jesus. Yeah, no, just I agree. But I'm just saying. Sanctimonious. Uh, yeah, nagging school teacher, waving her fingers at everyone. <laughs> I mean, that's what she did. But, you know, uh, first of all, Liz, I just want to respond. Joe Biden has to climb stairs to get to the podium. Wow. Can he make it up there? All right, so we're going to have to watch that very carefully. 
Now, Steve Moore, we can rebut all the things that Liz mentioned, the 1% and this and that. I mean, I don't know. that. You think that stuff's going to still sell? I don't believe it. No, I think Americans, everybody in America wants to get rich. That's what our country is about. But mm-hmm. it is just that listening to what Liz was saying. It doesn't seem like that long ago when, when Joe Biden ran a, on a campaign of unifying the country. Oh. Yeah, all he does is yeah. unify our country. Rich Lowry, the editor of uh, National Review, great friend of ours, all of us, uh, he was telling the story on the TV show before I had to go for cover as terrible cold. But he bought a McDonald's, uh, bought fries and a milkshake, cost 17 bucks. <laughs> now, I don't know whether that's shrinkflation, inflation, Bidenflation. I don't know what it is, but there's a lot of flation in $17 for a milkshake and French fries. But you know what, Larry? I mean, this this sort of suggestion from Joe Biden, and I've gone through the numbers twice. If you his suggestion that companies are profiteering and really just gouging the consumer is just not true. You should go back and look at all the big packaged food companies and what their gross margins were in 2018, 19. Hmm. What happened to them as inflation began to just rev up their costs? They all took a big hit. And basically, in every single case, their margins have barely come back to where they are, where they were, excuse me, or close. But it, it, it is just a false narrative that this is all the face of all the greedy corporations. But guess what? Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, all these people are going to be out there hammering companies, looking into all their business transactions. It is, it's a shame because it's not true. Well, he hates business and he loves college yeah. professors. Right, not enough of them. What? And they don't have enough money. By the way, in that psychologist gave a lot of money to him. There's a whole laundry list of uh, crazy professionals in that Larry Lindsay article. Anyway, we'll close it down, kids. Thank you ever so much. Liz Peake, as always, Fox News contributor. Steve Moore is coming up with more money on most of these same stations. I'm Kudlow, and we will be back next weekend. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to prioritygold.com.